US. So that's one advice I would give. Like, please don't be disheartened if you don't get. It's very hard to apply to some of these visas if you don't have enough evidence to show that you're doing something very different, right? So just start your business. Try to get your early customers, pilot customers while you're still in India. So hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. So today we're joined by Ravi of Effective AI. So hi Ravi, could you share a bit about how you got into startup building and you were previously working at Google and now you're building a startup. So what caused that pivot and why fintech and why fintech, why are you building for fintech is what I wanted to ask you. Yeah, great question. Yeah, hello. Uh, thanks a lot for uh, inviting me on your podcast. Very excited. Um, I'm Ravi. Um, I, I'll just give you a quick background about myself, and I think that will also give you some good context about why why we went into the startup space and uh, and why specifically fintech. So, like you mentioned, started off my career at Google, was part of their fraud and risk team for, for about eight years. Uh, got an opportunity to work on Google Pay um, on building out uh, and helping build their fraud and risk uh, processes uh, at Google, um, and then uh, left to join a startup called Simility, which is also co-founded by ex-Google folks. Uh, I joined them very early on, was their first employee, so got a taste of startups from uh, from the very early days. So got an opportunity to see that journey along with the founders of Simility. Uh, there, uh, Simility was also in the fraud detection space. Uh, we were building um, fraud and risk solutions for large enterprise banks. At at Simility, we had uh, big banks like U.S. Bank and Discover, Synchrony, Santander as our customers, um, and we eventually got acquired by PayPal in 2018 after the acquisition uh, we continued to sell simulated to banks but also worked on bringing a lot of our tech into the paypal's internal risk ecosystem so through those journeys got a lot of uh, exposure and and built a lot of interest in in the fintech space obviously as part of uh, working with the google pay team in in google and and paypal um so yeah, uh, my whole career has been in this in this domain, very specifically in the fraud and risk space, but but uh, a lot in, in in fintech, and I couldn't imagine myself working in any other domain. Um, so continuing to be in this uh, in this space. So we started effective in in uh, mid twenty twenty one, and I have three other co founders. All three of them were also my early colleagues from Similarity. We worked together quite very closely at PayPal. Uh, and we exited uh, to, to start effective. So you'd mentioned a bit about PayPal and working at Google. And, you know, right now we're seeing the emergence of these tech mafias, you could say, emerging from Google, <laughs> PayPal, and many other Indian companies as well are having their own yeah. similar mafias, you could say, like <laughs> company mafias. Like, So what could you talk about? Yeah like the emergence of this Google mafia and like, why do you think that these companies, big companies are producing such mafias out of their own like companies? Is it the culture? Like, what could you say on that 
front, given that you've worked for both Google and PayPal. I think PayPal has a very well-documented thing through the Jimmy Sonny's book, which covers about the PayPal mafia. But like Google is a bit unheard of. So could you just share on that front? (laughs) Yeah, no, great question. So yeah, like you mentioned, actually not a lot of people leave Google. uh, So because it's uh, it was always historically a very great company to work with very academic, uh, so especially if you are very research and academic oriented, Google was, was an amazing place to be, right? So they gave you all the facilities and, and made it very hard to leave the company. So you don't see a lot of like big Google mafias or ex-Google folks going out and starting big companies, but it's happening now, um, right? So uh, whereas with PayPal, I think, since the day it was founded, it was very entrepreneurial. I think there's uh, a lot of encouragement in, inside the company to to uh, be very self-sufficient, small teams, and it attracted a lot of entrepreneurial folks uh, internally. Uh, so, so we see that happening a lot from from ex PayPal folks. But but yeah, Google we are seeing right now. I think. Um, at either of those companies, um, the scale, the opportunity you get to work at at some crazy scale, um, and and the knowledge that you gain, both like technically and from a business perspective, is very very valuable. And once you recognize that um, that you have gained such deep knowledge, which uh, lo- not a lot of people externally have an opportunity to gain, uh, then it becomes pretty self-evident, right? Like uh, you have the skill set that you've built, you have this exposure that you've gotten. Uh, why not use it to to build another organization outside? Um, but but yeah, it's it's hard to leave <laughs> leave a company like Google to to go start something. So what does what makes it so hard to leave a company like Google versus say a company like PayPal, like? What could you share on that front? Yeah, um, I think so. Uh, like for folks uh, who get attracted to and work at a company like Google, they give you a lot of opportunity to start your own, uh, like experiment and give you a lot of uh, like independence in trying out your projects, right? Like things like the 20% project, if you've heard of it, where you get to spend a whole day in a week on your personal project. They give you resources to to make, to work on it, launch it, and grow it if it is successful, right? Like for example, Gmail was a 20% project of an engineer uh, and it became huge. And very similarly, there have been multiple such uh, such projects that became huge. And there was Skunk Works and, and um, uh, other kinds of initiatives within Google where you can kind of scratch your entrepreneurial itch uh, by being within the Google ecosystem. And then obviously they pampered their employees, right? They give, <laughs> they give you amazing facilities and food and laundry and um, other kind of support services if you have kids, like nursery and things of that sort. So it becomes very hard to imagine life outside of Google unless you're uh, you're a little bit crazy. <laughs> um, but 
but whereas paypal was uh, i think from from the day it was started was um a, a lot more i think execution oriented um and it just attracted people uh to who already had that entrepreneurial itch right like they wanted to start some company but but come into paypal to get some exposure and then uh contribute to paypal and then leave to to start something outside right? like gain all the knowledge there and then go out and start something so that's been my personal observation at least being part of uh, of the two organizations so i'm just curious did your paths ever cross with elon musk or david sachs <laughs> or like any of the other paypal people like was the timing right like how did that play out yeah no unfortunately no uh, i like we i joined paypal through the acquisition of of our startup similarity which was in 2018 by that time <laughs> all these folks had left so paypal went through multiple uh, like phases right so that they uh, uh like after these folks left it got acquired by ebay then uh, ebay spun off paypal paypal became again an independent entity and then uh, that was when during that phase was when uh, we got acquired so unfortunately didn't, didn't get to <laughs> didn't get to uh, interact with either but while at google i got an opportunity to interact with sergey brin one of their co-founders and and jeff dean who's one of the uh, like the most prolific uh, you know engineering minds he he now heads google deep mind uh, which is their ai division so yeah but they yeah, unfortunately not at paypal it was super interesting to hear your insights like comparing google versus paypal and also the mafias that are there and how mm. there's an emergence now that we're seeing of more google employees becoming their own startup AI. founders and also i didn't really yeah. know about google having this program where you could work on your own personal project that's a very interesting kind of concept that more companies should employ into their own practices like give give their employees a chance to work on the side hustles on the side along with their job right. that's that would like really benefit people a lot so my next question is more like what was your experience like working with shiel and btv and given that he's like an og in the fintech space and he's quite <laughs> a legend so like how did yeah. you uh, get in touch with shiel like any tips for anybody out there who's trying to also raise from shiel or some of the other fintech ogs out there yeah i yeah, know we are super lucky to get and to have the opportunity to work with him we very consciously seeked uh btv because of shield uh, and and uh, raised money from them mainly because they were btv right so we were actually not in a super active mode of raising capital but because we got the opportunity to raise from them we did raise um so that we could work closely with with btv and 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 shield and and his team um shield is super open like he is very very friendly uh and very open to talking to folks in fact like he's he's a big twitter personality so i would i would just suggest like dm him on twitter or reply to his tweets uh, and he's more than happy to meet you if you are in san francisco anytime you should you should try to reach out to him and uh, and 
grab a coffee. Um, they also have uh, a new accelerator program uh, in, in San Francisco, which I strongly suggest folks, especially more younger founders who want to start something in the fintech space uh, to strongly consider their accelerator program. It's, I think uh, it's called uh, Mint. Uh, so it's a, you should check them out. He and like you know, uh, Rohi, like he's super well connected in in the Silicon Valley space. Knows like, every founder there, uh, and because of that, uh, he and Jake actually have a very very strong network. So they they tend to attract uh, very strong uh, CEOs and and founders to come advise the participants of uh, of the Mint program. So that's that's another opportunity to work with them. Yeah, I saw somewhere that he had hosted an event with Drew Houston of Dropbox. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah he's pretty well connected. And yeah. so my next question to you is like, so what was that experience? Like, what makes BTV and Shield better than some of these other VC funds out there that you could have raised for? And yeah, any advice you have for founders that are trying to fundraise at the moment? Like you said, yours was more like you saw the opportunity and that's why you took the money, right. kind of. Yeah. But other founders might be like actively looking to fundraise at the moment. So right. what do you right. have any advice for them? Like what could you share on that front? No, uh, for sure. Um, uh, like we, we raised from Axel um, was our pre-seed or our first seed round. Uh, and that's why we were in that. Uh, we had the luxury of waiting and finding the right investor for the next next raise, but that's not always true for everyone, right? So many, like you said, uh, are in an active mode of seeking additional capital. Um, there are so for younger founders, I very strongly suggest um, exploring some of these accelerator or incubator programs. Uh, I think they are very very helpful. So Axel has one called Atoms. Um, that's also a great, great program that I would strongly recommend. This is in Axel India. So if these are companies that are based in India, to I would strongly suggest. I think Sequoia has one or Peak uh, XV, as now it's called. They have something called as uh, uh, I think Surge. Uh, so you 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 should you should consider that. And then obviously BTV. If you're based in in uh, in in the US then BTV's main program. Obviously there are other other very popular ones like Y Combinator and so on that you should apply for. So those programs are very democratic, right? So you directly apply to those programs, you get evaluated and and if you get through your part of it, right? And they provide a strong support system. Um, directly getting connected to VCs uh, obviously, you can reach out to many of them, but they get, I can also understand their point of view, they get bombarded by a lot of emails. So introductions go a very long way. So if you know of any founders who ha who have interacted with any of these investors in the past, uh, a warm introduction from them goes a very, very long way, right, to get, to get in front of them. So, for example, if anyone wants to get in touch with Shield or BTV, please feel free to reach out to me, right? And we can discuss and I can I can connect you. I mean, BTV is a very fintech-focused fund. So if you are in the fintech space, I could help you evaluate and get in touch with Shield. But same thing with Axel, same thing with Sequoia, Lightspeed, or any other pretty popular funds in, in India as well. 
So yeah, you touched a bit on Y Combinator and they're a really great kind of stepping stone accelerator for people who want to break into the space, who want to build their own thing. And there was a lot of discussion going on on X about Y Combinator valuations. So do you have any thoughts on that? Like, what could you share for people that want to apply to um, to Y Combinator that might be disheartened or optimistic maybe about the yeah. Y Combinator valuations and what's going down there? Yeah, um, I'm not too tuned into that uh, that discussion, uh, Ruhi, because I am a little too old for Y Combinator. Uh, but uh, uh, but um, I mean, like yeah, it is understandable. Most of the accelerators get get a good chunk of your equity uh, when you join, right? Like, but that in turn they're they're taking they're taking on tremendous amount of risk, along with giving you a very very strong support system, right? So from uh, from the kind of exposure that they give you, the trainings, the advice, you're part of a cohort, which is very invaluable. So you have like peer uh, founders to to share and discuss, and you're now part of a huge network for for someone, for a program like Y Combinator or Techstars, where, where it's been very, very popular. So now you're part of a huge network um, and you t- can take advantage of that network effect, right? So. Yeah, especially if you are selling into other businesses, now you have you have this access to this huge network of other businesses uh, that are that are your Y Combinator peers to whom you can sell to or or pitch your idea to and get feedback and so on, which is not very easy when you're not part of a network, right? So I think, honestly speaking, the value that you get out of some of these popular and very very strong programs. Uh, I think it's worth it, right? And I would, again, I would suggest for younger founders to not worry too much about like equity and so on. Uh, because if you already get a step up, a strong step up early on from being part of these programs, I think eventually it will stabilize, right? So your next round valuation will be stronger than than what it would have been without Y Combinator and things of that sort. So so the valuation and the dilution that will happen over the course of time uh, will will stabilize, right? So it'll be the same if you if you went through Ycom or if you didn't go through Ycom or any other programs like the Mint and so on, right? So again, don't worry. Focus on building the business, creating value. Um, valuations and, and equity and money and all that will just follow so just focus on building a big strong business right and and take all the help that you can that's my very strong suggestion that was a pretty fascinating point you made about why combinators network and support as kind of the key mm-hmm things that help it to attract so many amazing founders. So my next question is more like, what's your take on residency programs? Not accelerators per se, but residency programs like, say, for example, I recently spoke with the founder or co-founder of HFO, which is more a residency program that aims to subtract instead of add. So what is your take as a founder? Like, would you do something like this, like as a residency? 
like an entrepreneur in residence at one of these uh, VC mm, firms? Is it's that... more like a living kind of thing where they like give you all the okay. services that you need. And then you just focus on purely building. So you're going to build mode I and see. hustle mode. And that's ah, kind of like what they're trying to do. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and that's very interesting. I mean, I think that's even a step up <laughs> like from, from Ycom uh, and those kind of models. Um, so I, I'm actually quite familiar with one program called Entrepreneur First. Uh, which is getting quite popular. They're, they're like a London-based firm, um, like an accelerator program, but now I think in Bangalore and in Tel Aviv and a bunch of other locations as well. So they they start off doing something like this. They actually used to give even a stipend to to the folks who got into the program so, so that you don't even worry about like living expenses, right? So you get like a stipend, so at least your basics are handled and you just focus on building building out your product and launching and so on. Um, yeah, I mean, it sounds interesting. I think I'm a little <laughs> past that phase um, in my career and my age. But uh, but yeah, if, uh, if you get to have an opportunity to be something part of it, like nothing like it, right? So um, if you just focus on, on building your uh, building your product and so on but i i feel like if, if you've already found like your team your founding team uh and you have decided on an idea um, i think you can manage right like maybe the residency programs probably add you like maybe 10 to 20 percent of extra help um, but if you're able to do that outside i think that's that's fine as well that, uh, frankly, uh, Ruhi, like don't have a lot of insight, but it sounds like a very, very interesting idea in general. Yeah, I was also super intrigued. And given that Dave, who's the co-founder, the founder of HFO, he was also a former VC. And in his first VC fund, they actually okay. invested in three unicorns. So I think he oh, has wow. a real okay. eye for like finding these founders right. and attracting right. these founders because of what he's done with backend capital, which he founded with Lucy Gao. So yeah, so he's like pretty experienced in that. So my next question is more like, um, let's round it up by you sharing a bit about your experiences at Bits Pilani, Dubai, and mm -hmm. also your immigrant story, like as an immigrant from India coming to the US, starting your own startup, doing right. working at Google, like what was that immigrant story like? Because I've heard like immigrants have a really difficult time, like just mm -hmm. getting visas and stuff for working in the u.s like i know of a person right. who tried to get a visa startup visa but they couldn't mm. get it so they've gone back to india now so like what okay. would your advice be for like those immigrants that are still aspiring to kind of do their startup in the u.s and get the most out of the american dream yeah great question um Ruhi. so yeah it's it's tough um um I think one one advice I would give there is so we we started effective right in the middle of the pandemic and lockdown right so uh, we were stuck to our homes and I was in India at that time and that forced us to build a very remote company from the day zero 
right? So, and we knew we wanted to sell in the US and that was our primary target market. So that way what happened was we were able to build our early business uh, by not being in the US. And that forced us to think a little bit creatively, how do we reach out to folks and communicate and do uh, as much of the selling virtually, uh, even higher virtually in, in the US and, and so on. And once that basic business was set up, we also raised capital from Axel by then and so on. And then I had enough proof points to when it when things opened up and I knew that I have to now be in the US to now take my take a help take our business from one to 10 and so on, which is when you definitely need to be in that location. At least one of your founders need to be there. Right. So at that point, uh, I had in. I collected enough evidence that we were a strong enough business, uh, very legitimate, <clears throat> worked very hard, built a sophisticated product that the justification for the quote unquote startup visa or the O1 visa became very strong, right? So, so then I could apply for that O1 and, and obviously it took time, but I was able to get that visa and then immigrate to the US. So that's one advice I would give, like, please don't be disheartened if you don't get, it's very hard to apply to some of these visas if you don't have enough evidence to show that you're doing something very different, right? So just start your business, try to get your early customers, pilot customers while you're still in India, uh, and then raise some, if, if, if you are able to raise some capital, all that kind of stuff. And then apply for that O1 visa because that evidence packet becomes so much more stronger uh, by that time and you'll, you have a much better chance of getting the visa. Um, there are also other opportunities. I think like once you've built a team there and, and you, you're generating revenue, then you can go through like I think L1 visa as well where your US entity can sponsor you to move there and things of that sort. So a lot of things open up right for immigration once you have set up a business and it is functioning so try to do that remotely now it's all possible in in these days so you don't need to be there to start a company so start off uh, let it run for a uh, let it grow get to that one stage and then uh, immigration becomes so much more easier um but yeah i mean and uh, unfortunately for indians this is tough right <laughs> You have to go through all of this process, but it is possible. Uh, and I think it just builds resilience for us, right? Like uh, we just become so much more stronger uh, going through all of these things. I think it gives us a step up eventually. Yeah, I think that was some really great advice to build up your evidence package and to just evidence show the evidence to the US government or whoever is trying whoever's yeah. giving these visas out that you know i'm i'm able to be somebody that can contribute to the u.s economy and this is my business right. and this is what i'm doing so yeah right. it was an absolute pleasure and an honor to chat with you on the podcast today and do share how the audience can get in touch with you and learn more about effective or btv or like anything that you want to shout out and promote at the moment now's your time oh thanks Rui. yeah uh Again, thanks a lot for the opportunity. I had a, had a blast talking with you, Rui. Uh, for folks who want to reach out to me, I'm on Twitter or X um, at Sandepudi. So that's my last name. 
um or you can find me on linkedin ravi sanapuri uh, you can search for for me and then dm me at any point in time or ravi at effective.ai uh, that's my email so please reach out to me in any of these avenues if i can help out in any way i'd be very very happy thanks so if you're listening to this podcast right now i have an open opportunity to reach this audience so if you want to reach college students and freshers interested in startups and venture capital and just in terms of the demographics the age of 18 to 22 is the highest age demographic in india and us are the two largest country demographics of listeners for this podcast email me at bispodruhi@gmail.com So thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode and hope you've learned something new